Hey everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Jessica Stevens here. How's everyone doing? Oh my goodness, I cannot believe it is already December and we are wrapping up the last few episodes of the season. It's been a good one, hasn't it? I have loved so many of the episodes this season. It's going to be really hard for me to do a roundup and pick my favorites, but um, there are definitely a few that stick out for me. So stay tuned for that. We'll be coming to you in a couple of weeks with our final episode of the season with a very, very special guest who will be joining me for that last episode of the year. Also, reviews. Oh my goodness, the reviews that came in this season have been so fantastic. If you have not already done so, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and drop us a note. Let us know what you think. Was there an episode that you loved specifically this season too? Would love to hear from you. So appreciate that. It's how more people get to learn about the show and see how amazing it is and um, helps us kind of climb up the ranks. So yeah, head over there to Apple Podcast, or if you are on another platform, please subscribe, give us, you know, whatever rating reviews are on that platform. Appreciate it so, so much. All right, let's get into today's episode. With me today is Megan Tong, and she is going to be sharing her story about needing to break free from her cubicle, uh, which I can completely relate to and probably some of you as well. So let's hear a little bit about Megan. She started her career as a CPA in that cubicle. And after a stint in Australia, she co-founded Kanga, Toronto's first Australian style meat pie company. Together with her business partner, she built Kanga to a million dollar company and successfully sold it in 2018. Growing up, she always had a dream of creating financial freedom, and she saw real estate investing as the ideal way to do that. She began investing in real estate in 2013, and she achieved that dream at the age of 32. Today, she is a life and money mindset coach, helping her clients create rich life and making more money doing what they love. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was gonna do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank, now what stories, so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friends, have you ever looked around your place and thought, I just don't have space for plants, or I just need something really cool for this wall, now what? Well, do I have the solution for you? The Plant Wall by The Plant Mama is where the combination of green and design becomes living art for your walls. This innovative vertical planter allows any home or business owner to 
instantly add greenery to their space. It's super easy to maintain and perfect for indoor or outdoor spaces. Just pop your plants into the frame and hang your plants like a painting. You can create a single unit centerpiece or have fun designing a module plant collage. The cool modern design is available in black or white. The plant wall is also super smart. It'll tell you when the water reservoir needs to be refilled. So no green thumbs required. And did you know that plants contribute to a healthy indoor environment through oxygen production and fine dust capture? And bonus, plants improve a room's acoustics. So I've put my plant wall here in the studio. So to learn more or to order yours, head to plantmama.com. That's P-L-A-N-T-M-A-H-M-A-H.com and use promo code NOWWHAT10 to get 10% off your plant wall. That's plantmama.com, now what 10. Oh, and it will ship anywhere across Canada or the United States. Hey there, Megan. Hello. So good to see you, Jessica. You too. Excellent. Well, I'm so excited for to have you on the show. Um, we're going to have a really fun conversation today because the topic at hand is something that you and I can both relate to. It's I just need to break out of this cubicle. Now what? Because you are a former corporate warrior like myself turned entrepreneur. And so we're going to kind of rewind the tape and, and take us take us back to that time when you just really want to break free. But before we do that, I always love for my guests just to share a little bit about themselves in their own words. Obviously, I just read your fantastic bio to everybody. But what do you want the people to know about you? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show, Jessica. Uh, what I My name is Megan Tong. And what I would like the people to know about me is that I love money. I love talking about money. I love having money. I love making money, love spending money. I love all the things money. And sometimes, you know, even for a long time, I didn't give myself permission to really say that because it sounds so crass almost, or some, it's almost like, oh my God, did she just say that? But I just want to say it like loud and proud. So other people can own that too. I was in touch with Brooke Castillo's work and I went to the life coach school and she just says it loud and proud. And that gives so many people permission to do the same. So mm -hmm. I just want to do that for your listeners and tell everyone that I love money and you can too. And you can say it out loud. You can talk about money. You can make a lot of it. You can spend a lot of it. And there ain't but no money, shame in your yeah. money game. Money is not evil. I, I'm with you. I, I love me some money too. So I think we definitely need to normalize people, you know, good people loving money and doing good things with money. So yeah, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm on, I'm on team money as well. Let, let's form a band. Let's get a group. Let's get the t-shirts and let's do it. Okay. Yes. So which, which is very interesting because I guess money has been a big part of your life and career always because you were a CPA. Yes, I was a CPA. I still have my designation. I still do you know, with my clients, it, it comes up, right? Those mm -hmm. skills come up. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm Asian, I'm Chinese. And when we were growing up, I think literally all we knew that there was to do in the world was just be a doctor or an engineer or an architect 
or a CPA. Those were the only life options, or maybe a pharmacist, because my parents were pharmacists too. And because I love medical field, like that was like doctor adjacent, right? Exactly. You could be like a nurse or a pharmacist or a doctor. Yeah, something like that. But those were all that we were exposed to. And I just thought, you know, I love business. I love money. Well, the one that fits the most closely is accounting and doing my CPA. So I became a CPA. Okay. And that is where your cubicle life began. Yes. I was literally inside of cubicles and from sort of early on in my CPA career, I was like, this is not for me. This is not for me. You know, there were times that being an accountant, we didn't always work long hours, but there were times that I did work long hours. And I remember sitting there in my cubicle with this giant binder of a file, just going through things, trying to get these working papers done. It was 11 p.m. I happened to be the only person in the office, which was, again, very weird. But this was just an engagement that needed to get done. And it was 11 p.m. and the lights just turned off in the office. And I just sat there because, you know, it's a big office and just to save energy at 11 p.m. Time, turn the the lights lights off. Turn up, yeah. And I'm just sitting there in my cubicle with my giant folder thinking, what is this? What am I doing? The lights are have turned off and I am in a small box with a giant binder. And this is my life. And this is what I'm going to be doing for the next two weeks. And this is going to come up again and again and again. And I, it just really, really was not for me. So from a young, from a youngish age in, in, I guess. So were you like, when that experience happened, were you in like your mid to late twenties? How far into your career? I was in my early twenties. So I was just becoming a CPA. Like I didn't even have my designation yet. I was in a time when you have to like build up your hours to actually get your designation. So it's like, you know, two or three years of work experience. I was in that time. So I knew before I even had my designation that I needed to break out of this cubicle. This cubicle life wasn't for me. The actual work I was doing was not interesting to me, even though I loved the people so much. And like, I liked working at KBMG and I liked the work environment. They gave me so many opportunities. I just didn't like the thing that I was doing. And I did not like these very structured nine to five slash nine to 11 sometimes job that I was doing. I knew that I had to break out of there. And that's what I think, honestly, now looking back on it, I'm so grateful that I had that experience that I really didn't like, because if I had liked it, I might've stayed there longer, but from the get-go, I started plotting my escape. So I started thinking to myself, okay, what do I need to do to not have to do this, to put a roof over my head, to put food on the table? And I got keyed up to financial freedom. I was like, okay, how much money do I have to have to never have to come to a cubicle if I don't want to ever again in my life? And so I started thinking in my young 20s about financial freedom, started reading. I was, like I said, I was always interested in money. So I had read some things about it, but I started reading more about financial freedom. And I think I read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Building Assets. And I started thinking about real estate. And in my young 20s, my friends would be, you know, going out to the bar. And I did that too. I loved doing that. I love socializing. But I remember on Thursday night, I would just get in my car and I would drive out to Mississauga, which was like 50 minutes away from where I lived, downtown Toronto. And I would go to these real estate meetings. 
and they were called, it was a club called Rain, the Real Estate Investment Network. It was amazing at the time. I think it's still very good. And I would just go and sit and learn about investing in real estate and sit in a room with 200 other amazing real estate investors, people who were really seasoned, people who were doing amazing things, people, a lot of people who had financial freedom. And I just sat there and I learned about real estate and I bought my first property. And then we, I, I kept going and eventually I created financial freedom through real estate. Like I, I started thinking about that in my early twenties and we achieved that when I was 32. So maybe like less than a decade later. Amazing. I love that. I love that you were that young, impressionable mind who is not, <laughs> who was able to like make a, a, a left turn off the track that you had been put on and decided to kind of forge your own path and been like, I need to find another way to do this that it speaks to my soul. Yes, yes. And everyone, financial freedom, I think everyone should just achieve it as quickly as possible because it is amazing. It truly is amazing to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want and have your own time freedom. Okay, so how old were you when you bought your first property? I think I was around 25. That's what, yeah, I think I was, I was, I was 26 when I bought my first condo, um, which, which I was kind of the, a rare bird in all of my friend circle too, because no one else was in a position to be able to do that. Right. I was very fortunate like you come from an Asian family. So there, there were certain parameters, but I was also very fortunate that I was able to graduate from university without any debt. Mm, yes. I started my career as soon as I graduated and there was a forced savings plan in my family. I don't know if you had that one at yours where I was living at home, but I was paying Mm. rent, right? Oh, interesting. But that rent was being accumulated towards your future property. So that rent was collected by my parents, (laughs) but then was given back to me as the down payment for my condo. Oh my God. I, I totally want to do that for my parents, for my kids. Although I don't know if I want them to necessarily move back in. I will always welcome them, but I don't know if I desire to have them. Exactly. Forever so yeah. So that time frame when I moved back home after being away for university, came back to Toronto, was living at home and working, I had to pay rent. I love that. Yeah. And that, that, was- that allowed me to pay, buy my first condo at 26 too. Oh my God. Your parents are genius your parents are genius very clever right very 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 clever cool okay so 25 ish you bought your first condo was that an income property or did you actually live in it no i was well both actually i was so glad that i thought about real estate investing before i bought my first property because it allowed me to actually think about it and to do both so i bought a house with the idea that I would duplex it and live in half of it. And I did that. So I knew that I wanted to find a place that I could do that, that I could make some income off of as well. So I bought a place in Los Angeles, a neighborhood in Toronto, and I blocked off the basement. And then I had the upstairs, which was the main and second floor. And then I had the downstairs. And obviously the upstairs was the way nicer place to be right like it had three bedrooms it was all above ground and then there was the basement that was cute but it was a basement there was no shying away from that um and i decided you know what i'm into this financial freedom thing i want to get my financial freedom as soon as possible i'm and this was with my boyfriend at the time who was now my husband but i was like hey kubo why don't we go live in the basement and make a lot of money on the upstairs And so we moved into the basement of the house that I owned 
And uh, we just made so much money that allowed us to, to save a lot and make three times more rent on the upstairs. And we were young and it was great. And my parents, I remember my parents being incredibly confused. They were like, why? What? Why would you live in the basement of your own home? And they just didn't exactly get it. They'd never really heard of financial freedom, retire early or anything like that. And they were like, we don't get it at all, but you do your thing. (laughs) I think that is brilliant. I think there is sacrifice, right? In order to have something later on and to live how most never will, you have to do something that most will never do. Right? Exactly. Exactly. You just have to think differently and get creative and think about the future. Think about not being, not needing to go to your cubicle anymore, not needing to answer to anyone. And I was really always had that in my mind, that future when I wouldn't need to work for anyone to like keep a roof over my head or work at all. So I really had that future mindset. I remember this time speaking of like my parents and them being confused that I was living in the basement with my boyfriend, now husband. And my parents came over to see the house. It was their first time seeing the house ever. And I was so excited for them to see my basement unit, see my house and everything. And they were coming for dinner and they came down the steps and it happened to be pouring that day, which is so weird, but it was pouring raining so hard and you know in basements there's like this place where the water goes down and there was just kind of like a, an area and then you open the door so like mm-hmm. it was de- like kind of a step lower and there's a drain and it goes down great so they they come in it's raining pouring and and they come into my tiny place and we're gonna have dinner and all of a sudden i see that space outside just starting to fill up with water and i'm like um cool it's filling up with water over there like do you think some leaves are on the drain because that happens sometimes right and i was like he's like oh yeah okay let's just go and my parents are sitting down watches and i'm like let's go just clear the drain and as i just open the door and the whole like kind of bathtub it looks like a bathtub it's just filled with water and i go to clear off the leaves but my boyfriend Kubo he he decides no we should take a broom and sweep off the leaves but as he sweeps off the leaves he just kind of creates a tidal wave and all the water comes like <laughs> rushing into the house and my parents are just sitting there like, in our basement apartment yeah yes being so confused and I just remember laughing my head off I was like of course this happens when my parents come see the property you know it's all good but I love that because <laughs> think about it like you were in your 20s so you could have been living in somebody else's basement apartment and paying rent. You just happen to decide that you're going to live in your own basement apartment and collect rent. Exactly. Love it. Exactly. Love it. Love it. Okay. So you get into real estate, you get this property, you have these tenants, they're paying your mortgage, you're getting a little bit more income coming in while you're still slugging away in your cubicle. Still in my cubicle. Yes. At that point, I was still in my cubicle. <laughs> That's okay. You know, it, t- it takes a little while to escape a cubicle. It's not an overnight process, but the fact that you had what you referred to as an escape plan, I used to refer to it as my exit strategy. I'm like, yes. what is my exit strategy? How am I getting the hell up out of here, right? So, so yeah, talk to us a little bit more about this escape plan. First, it was real estate. Then what was next? So first it was real estate. Yes. I was like, okay, let's build a portfolio so we can do this. And then I continued to work as an accountant and 
I had always been interested in the area of microfinance. Microfinance is just the concept of giving financial access to poor or to people who don't have money so that they can, the original idea was giving them loans so that they can purchase assets so that instead of just like selling things, they can actually purchase chickens and then they can have egg, they can, you know, produce eggs and they can become chicken farmers and sell the eggs and that they could slowly lift themselves out of poverty. So that was the original idea of micro. It was originally called microcredit. And then it was called microfinance because it expanded to providing other financial instruments. And I was always really, really interested in that area. And I found a job in that area, went to work for the MasterCard Foundation. So then I thought, okay, you know what, at least I'm out of just strictly doing accounting. Now I'm doing it for a not-for-profit that I really, really believe in. And I loved the people again. I loved the organization. I was still in a cubicle, but I thought that that would be, that, that would be a great move. And wow. It was a cubicle with purpose. Exactly. Now I moved out to a cubicle with purpose and I, I loved the mission. And as I said, I was always interested in microfinance, like from my university days. So that was great. Um, But I was still in the cubicle being a senior financial analyst. And I just started making meat pies sort of off the side of my desk. It it all happened. I I went on a secondment to Australia with KPMG. So I ate a lot of Australian style meat pies and loved them. Never, ever, ever thought I would ever make meat pies or anything like that for a living. But when I came back, it was a time in Toronto when there were lots of food festivals and I love food. And I went to cooking school for a little bit and I absolutely love food. My friends and I went to this food festival. We ate a lot of things and we thought, you know, it would be so fun just to be a vendor here, just to make something and sell it. Why not? Right. So we thought we got together. We're like, what can we do? Toronto doesn't have Australian style meat pies. Let's make those because one of the partners at the time, Erin, who became my business partner later in Kanga, she'd also been to Australia. And she's like, what's up with no meat pies in Australia? I mean, in Toronto. So sorry. And no meat pies in Canada. <laughs> yes, no meat pies in Canada. It's like, what is with this? Let's bring it to Canada, bring it to Toronto. So we started making we started making meat pies with the thought we're going to sell them at this market. We applied for the market. We got in and we made. they asked us to make 500 meat pies. We're like, how do we do this? We stayed up till 2 a.m. for two weeks making meat pies while we had our day jobs and everything, of course. And, and then we sold our meat pies and everyone loved them. Of course they did. Who does not love a meat pie? And these were delicious meat pies. So we sold them, we sold out, people loved them. And then we just started doing different events. We started doing one thing after the other, still while holding up, down our jobs. And then I had planned this two week vacation to go see my friend in Italy. But then I thought, you know what, instead of going on vacation, I'm just going to spend two weeks working on my meat pie business because I love this meat pie business. It's so much fun. Um, So I did that. And after those two weeks, I thought this is so much more fun than my day job. I should just quit my day job and do this. So actually, when I did that, when I decided to quit sort of being an accountant, having a day job and go into Kanga full time, go do like sell meat pies full time, I didn't exactly have like $100,000 saved up. I didn't have financial freedom at that time. I just thought, you know what? I can make this work. I can do this. And a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh my God, was Kanga making so much money that you could just leave your day job? And while that is a great plan for some people, for me, I just felt like, no, I need to leave my day job so I can make Kanga make that much money. So that was that 
I left before I like had quote unquote replaced my corporate income. So I decided to leave and do that. And then my business partner, Aaron thought, well, if you're doing it, I can do it too. And we, we both decided to leave our nine to fives and start a meat pie business. And I did that for five years. So you traded in a cubicle for a kitchen. Yes. <laughs> and we made meat pies and it was great. And we opened three restaurants in Toronto and sold meat pies and it was fantastic. And I built up that business over five years. And then eventually we sold it in 2018. Because that's what you do when you build a successful business is sometimes you decide, yeah, the purpose of this business is to sell it to somebody else. Yes, exactly. And that's totally okay, right? Because a lot of people think, oh, I started this business. It's my business baby. Like it is mine. I can never part with it. But sometimes the right decision is to part with it. Sometimes the right decision is to part with it. And I'll, I will say this though about business is that I personally think that you don't want to start a business if your only thought is to sell it. If you're like, okay, well, I'm just doing this just to make money and so that I can sell it in three years. I just don't think that that is the right place to start a business from. And it's not worth it, really. Like if you're just, if you want to make as much money as you can, as easily as you can, usually starting a business is not that the answer to that. <laughs> True story. But if an opportunity comes your way to be able to sell it, a lot of people have a lot of resistance to selling a business. So that's part of, you know, the, the business journey is sometimes businesses are sold and that's totally okay. Yes. And for me, actually, it was a fairly easy decision. I started hanging out with like my heart fully in it and I loved the food industry and I loved the restaurant and I loved the business so much. But there was a time when it sort of flipped from not, it, it didn't flip exactly. Like I didn't go from loving it to hating it, but I could see my passion was waning for it. Like I just, my heart wasn't in it anymore. And that's when I knew it was time to start thinking of next steps for Kanga. And we were in the block, we were doing well. And I just approached my partner and I said, Hey, Aaron, what if we thought about selling it while it's doing well, while we don't want to sell it when we need to sell it. We want to sell it when it's doing well and, and it's it's Choice. a great business to buy. And she sort of thought about it too. And, and then we both made the decision to, yeah, let's just float it and see what happens to it. And we had a great offer within just a few months. So that's, that's what precipitated the sale and we ended up selling it. So right. I personally think if you want to start a business, make sure your heart's in it. And then, you know, things change for people when your heart isn't in it. And that's, that's when you want to start thinking about your next moves and hopefully your business is doing well, like ours was at the time. Um, yeah, it's all about the stages and transitions. And, and that business was kind of just one stepping stone in your journey of financial freedom, right? It was, it was, yes. And I love that we started with the real estate stuff because a lot of people hear that I've sold Kanga and they think, oh my God, you created, like, did you sell it for like millions of dollars and create financial freedom through the sale of a restaurant? And I just want to say no. <laughs> Unless you're like a tech company or something like that, you're, when you sell your company, you're going to make some money off of it. It's not going to be the kind of money that sets you free. So especially you not a restaurant add it to what your portfolio already has and it'll exactly. get you closer. Okay, cool. Exactly. So here's the classic question on the podcast. Now what? You've sold your, your Kanga business. What, what was next for Megan? 
Yes. Okay. So when I sold Kanga, then I was actually financially free through real estate and a little bit through Kanga as well. So I could really, really sit back and think, what do I want to do? What, how do I want to contribute? What do I love? And to be very honest, I actually thought maybe I'll just retire. Maybe I'll, and I took a, a sabbatical kind of in my mind, I phrased it as a sabbatical. I love sabbaticals. Sabbaticals are such a good way of wrapping your mind around something new. So you don't have to say like, okay, I'm quitting this forever. I'm leaving this forever. I, I feel completely untethered and lost in life. You can just tell yourself, I am going to take a sabbatical. I'm going to take a break. I always have the option of returning and maybe I will return. And it gives you a chance to explore things without feeling completely untethered. Um, So I highly recommend sabbaticals to people. So I decided to take a little sabbatical before I had my first kid. And I, I did things like learn Chinese and exercise and just do whatever I want essentially. And that's when I realized, you know what? I, I love having a business. I love contributing to people in that way and creating an impact through my own business. And so that's when I I thought to myself, no, okay. For me, I love having my own business. I want to get back to having my own business. What would I want my business to be? And I knew that I wanted to be something that I love because it could be anything that I wanted. And I remembered money. I was like, oh yeah, I love money. I love talking to people about money. I love helping people with money. People need help with their money. And that's when I thought, you know what, maybe I'll try to be a financial planner. And I did that for a little bit. So I helped people actually plan. I helped other financial planners with their clients. And that's when I realized financial planning is also not for me. (laughs) I love it. You know what? Sometimes the best thing to know what you do want to do is figuring out before what you don't want to do. Right. I'm a huge proponent of that. People are like, how will I know if I love it? Like literally the only way to know is to go do it and get wet. Literally go in that pool, start flailing around doing things. And then you'll know if you like it. Sitting around thinking about whether you like to ride a bike is not going to give you any answers. You have to get on that bike and start falling down and, and riding it. That is so funny that you use the the swimming analogy. I use that one all the time because I'm like, okay, so I cannot explain to you the feeling of being wet and swimming in a pool with you sitting on the the side of the pool. Like you actually just need to like jump in and get wet and feel it for yourself. And then you'll know, do I like this or do I not like this? Like I, it's really hard to explain to somebody what it's like from the outside. Yes. That's so funny that you use that because I never even used that before. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to say it this way. I love that. Yes, exactly. You cannot experience being wet by having someone explain to you what wetness feels like. (laughs) (laughs) Just jump in the pool, my friends. Jump in the pool. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So you test the waters financial planner. You're like, nope. This oh is yes. I test the waters. I get all wet. Right. I start working. Like I said, I, I start working for the, uh, other people, financial planners. I, other financial planners, I help them with their clients. I also create my own clients. I start helping them with their finances and I help them and I love helping them, but the financial planning is not for me. However, through the financial planning, 
I was introduced to the world of money coaching. Now, money coaching and financial planning are different. And just to explain to some people um, who might not know, financial planning is much more of a planning exercise. It's like almost like a tax planning exercise when you really think about it. It's like, hey, I'm a person who wants to make sure that I, I have three kids. I want them all to go to university. I want to pay for the university. I want to make sure that there's money to like um, give them the cottage when I pass away. That's a planning exercise. That's not a money coaching exercise. It's just like almost like a spreadsheet exercise, right? And then I make a plan. I give you the plan. I say, hey, just go implement this plan, right? A money coaching client is more the person who's like, hey, I make money, but I don't know where any of it is now. I don't know where any of it goes. Maybe I have some credit card debt. Uh, I have these interesting behaviors with money that I don't really understand. And mostly money is very stressful to me. I feel like there's never enough of it, no matter how much I make. That's a money coaching client. So I loved working with money coaching clients. Working with money coaching clients is a lot about working with mindset, helping them to change behavior, take different actions and think differently about money and about themselves, about their future. And I loved that work. And so that's when I sort of came into like the coaching realm. Meanwhile, I was also realizing that even with my money coaching clients, I was giving them very prescriptive solutions. I was saying, hey, this is a spreadsheet. We're going to use this spreadsheet. We are going to, I want you to open these bank accounts. I want you to set them up like this. So I was telling them exactly what to do and not focusing as much on the mindset. And I also was also at the same time realizing, Hey, I don't even use this spreadsheet. I had never seen this spreadsheet before I became a money coach. I had never set up these bank accounts like this. I wasn't, I didn't have 10 different bank accounts, right? And I started asking around to my wealthy friends, like, what are you, what, how do you manage your money? What do you do? And what I found was that everyone was doing something kind of different, but the people I was asking were all wealthy. And that's when I really started realizing money is not about the spreadsheet, although that can be helpful for sure. It's not about a bank account setup. It is about how you think about money. And that's when I realized it's all a mindset game. And when I really doubled down on the mindset piece of it and became a life coach. So these days I help people with their money, help them make more money doing what they love. And I help them manage their mindset around money so they can create a rich life for them and feel peaceful around their money. Love it. Oh my goodness. Wow. What a journey from cubicle life to inspired by the idea of financial freedom to business owner to second business owner <laughs> and you know because still probably a real estate guru i'm sure you still have all of that real estate going we do on. passive income in the background which i am a huge fan of that is such an amazing story megan and and while it's not like oh my god kind of a story it's impactful because these are all simple quote unquote, simple things that anybody could do because you started this as a 20 something year old, you know, girl working in a cubicle and just made that first decision of like, I want to go and learn this thing. Like you knew nothing about real estate before you showed up to one of those conferences. Nothing. <laughs> My parents had never done it. I'd never seen it done. I was just like, I, I see that this is possible and I believe that I can figure it out and just went for it. I love it. I love it. I love the story. So 
Classic question again. Now what? So now you are now officially a money mindset coach. This is your your latest business baby because it might not be your last, but it is your current and latest business baby. Tell us a little bit more about what what you got going on. Do you have some packages? Do you have services? How do you coach people in, in different kind of ways if they are just starting out or if they're like, I'm already making millions, but I want more millions. Like what's kind of the difference from like a beginner financial freedom client to helping somebody just like level up? Yeah, there isn't that much difference, honestly. If there, so how I work with clients is I work with clients six months at a time and it's one-on-one. So it's totally, totally personalized. And that's personalized. And that's the amazing thing is that no matter where you are in your journey with your business or with your money, coaching helps a lot. So when say you're just starting out, there might be a little bit more tactical things that we do together in addition to the mindset things. Whereas if you're further along, it might be much more of a mindset game. But either way, no matter where you are, people have goals and they want to take it to the next level. So wherever you are, coaching helps you take it to that next level. Because when you really think about it, what's the difference between you where you are and another person in your exact same circumstances who who started with off with your exact same circumstances, who has what you want. The only difference is what you have been thinking, what the thoughts you have been practicing, the beliefs that you've created for yourself. And that is exactly what coaching addresses. So it doesn't matter where you are on your journey. I work with people who are executives of tech companies. I work with people who are just starting their business, who literally maybe open their doors three months ago and coaching helps all of them. So it doesn't really matter where you are. And it doesn't even need to be an entrepreneur. You could be just an everyday person, currently an employee and wanting to figure out your own financial freedom game and how to get there through the power of your mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. So here's a question for you. You said you've always been somebody who loves money, right? From, from a young age. What were some of those mindsets that you had young that you think have really helped you, especially, you know, our ideas about money are planted in us when we're little kids, right? So what were maybe some of those memories that you remember or recall that actually helps you have a positive mindset about money where you could probably help some people identify quickly on the on this episode of, hey, what are some things that you thought about money as a kid or were told as a kid that is actually impacting how you feel about money right now that you don't even realize? Yeah, that's a great question. The things that I took in as a child were that money is important. So it's so interesting when I meet people who are like, no, money is not important. I'm like, oh my gosh. Are we still what? living in the same place? Yes. <laughs> in what, what? planet do you live on? Um, and my parents from, I, I'm so grateful to my parents. because I think this also comes from Asian cultures too. Um, I don't think there's a Chinese person out there who doesn't believe that money is important in some way, shape or form. So first of all, from a young age, my parents always instilled in us that money is important. Making money is important. You don't just like go do things with no idea about what you're going to do after university, right? Like, and what kind of jobs you're going to have after university, like making money is an important part of life. So that is one mindset thing that now that I always took for granted, but now meeting tons of people and talking to them about money, I realized is not a given. Yeah. 
It's not a given. Yeah. So that's one important thing. Money is important. Investing money is important. Like you can grow your money. Something that I came to a little bit later that I think really, really does set you up for financial freedom is realizing that your mind is what creates happiness, not material things, not even experiences like Disneyland or going to Italy and eating pizza there. Those are not the things that create happiness and joy because you can bet that there's somebody in Italy right now eating pizza who's really miserable. So you know that the only thing that's creating joy is what you're thinking. And and like, that's what gives you your human experience. So just knowing that helps you so much in the journey towards financial freedom. Because if you think about it, if you're constantly relying on material things to give you happiness and to bring you joy, it's going to be very hard to save. If I was relying on a big, beautiful house to make me feel good and make me feel happy, I would not have been like happy in my basement, which I really, really was. Mm -hmm. Um, So one big part of it is knowing what creates happiness and that it's not material things. It's not spending money. It's not even experiences like in that way. It's knowing how to manage your mind and creating happiness with your mind and your brain. Love it. Love it. All right, Megan. So uh, we're wrapping this up. Where can people find you? Where do you like to hang out? What social platforms are your faves? And if someone wants to talk to you about more about money mindset and coaching, where do they, where do they find you? Yes. You can find me on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most for sure, where I'm the most active. I love going on there and interacting and just looking at other people's stuff too. And that's where I produce most of my content. So you can find me on Instagram. I have tons of money mindset stuff on there, tips and life coaching things, just tips that help you take your life to the next level and feel more joyful and peaceful in your life. Um, And then you can also check out my website. It's www.coachmegantong.com. And if you want to book a consult and meet one-on-one, and see what coaching is all about, you can go on there and book a consult through that. Excellent. Oh my gosh, Megan, I love this conversation so much. And the fact that it all stemmed from one late night at the office when the lights went out. That's where it all started. Now look where I am. (laughs) You know what? Like that experience of you being at the office alone with your binder and your monitor and like, you know, doing the thing and the lights going out is not actually a very uncommon because I can tell you, I used to do some crazy late night working sessions too. And the sensor would go off and the lights would turn off. Same experience happened to me. I actually hate to admit it, but I've actually slept at my office more times than I openly want to admit. Oh my gosh. I always thought about it, but I never actually did it. I love that you did it. Yeah. Oh my slept gosh. At the Those office cubicle warriors. Yeah. Slept at the office because I lived, you know, in the suburbs. And so my office was downtown. There was an early meeting. I literally like went downstairs to the gym, had a shower, like washed my hair, put on clothes and came back upstairs. Oh my gosh. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> not proud. I'm not proud that I did it, but it was something. But those experiences also made me realize that I need an exit strategy. Like I do not want this. This is not the life that I want to be living where I'm sleeping at the office. 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I also want to say that there's no shame in hustle, right? Like there, there's no shame at all. And like, no. I love that you slept in the office and that I was there at 11 PM just waving my arms around trying to get the lights on, right? There is no shame in, in hard work. And honestly, for me, it wasn't even the late nights that got me so much. It was waking up every morning at the same time and having to go to my cubicle. That was actually mm-hmm. the more painful part for me. But yeah, there were those late nights waving my arms around to turn the lights back on when I wondered. <laughs> <laughs> what, how did how did I get here? What is this all over? This? Awesome. Okay. There's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Awesome. All right. That's it for us, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another amazing episode of I Just Blank. Now what? If you resonated with this episode, or if you know somebody who's experiencing something similar, or has a desire to tap into a little bit more of that, you know, financial freedom life please, please, please share this episode. Reach out to Megan. Follow me also jess.loves.life on Instagram. Let us know how you love this episode. And we will see you next week for another I Just Blank Now What show. Thanks so much, everybody. And we will talk to you real soon. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do how to move forward and help you answer. Now what? See you on the next episode.